Today, we're going to talk about how to properly use listening to recordings to improve your violin playing. This is part two of two, so let me give you a quick recap of last week's episode. Learning how to use recordings is a really vital part of improving your playing, and it's something that I consistently see making a difference with my students and in my own playing. It's something that professionals do all the time, that I did growing up, and that I always recommend to my students when they're learning a piece. It allows you to make less reading errors, to learn the notes faster, and perhaps most importantly, learn about the implied stylistic elements of the piece. And those are things that aren't necessarily written into the score. So if you've listened to part one, I've hopefully already convinced you that this is a really, really good idea. So let's get right into the practical stuff. We have a lot to cover today, sourcing good recordings, which ones to avoid, whether it makes a difference to listen with video or audio, and then the most important part, how to listen. And I'm actually going to walk you through this using several recordings of the same piece, and we're going to listen and analyze them together. Lastly, you're also going to get to hear from my private students discuss how they use recordings and how it's been beneficial to their playing. But first, hello and welcome to Violin Class, which is a podcast for people who are learning the violin as an adult. My name is Julia. I'm a professional violinist and a violin teacher, and my goal is to share some of my tips and experience to hopefully make learning the violin a little bit easier. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to be a very nice anonymous listener, please take a second to rate and review the podcast on whatever app you're listening to. This really helps me to stay on the good terms with the algorithms, and that in turn helps me to reach new listeners. And so if you've already left a rating, thank you very much. It is very appreciated. Okay, so let's get right into the episode. First, let's cover the types of recordings to avoid because they are not all created equal. I firmly believe that you should avoid listening to amateur recordings of your piece while you're learning it, including most recordings of children playing, even if they're really good. Really not to diss amateur recordings or recital videos of children performing, especially really talented children, but But remember, this is a source of inspiration and it's giving you something to strive for and to learn from. And I think it's important to make that distinction because when you're learning, you want to be exposing yourself to the highest level possible and not necessarily to people who are learning themselves, even if they're ahead of you. If you're learning to paint, you're going to go to the museum and check out paintings of the greats, Van Gogh, Matisse, stuff like that. You can certainly get inspiration from someone who's intermediate or advanced, but you're going to stick to those tried and true sources. And that's what we're going to try to do as well in violin. And a note on the children videos, because there are just so many, since many people do start at the age of five or six, the reason I don't suggest watching those too much, unless for, of course, entertainment purposes, is that A, just like the amateur recordings, the kids are learning themselves, but B, There's just something about it, especially if it's like a a prodigy child or a a really, really talented kid um, of which there are so many, it might make you feel a little bit bad. You know, uh, oh, look at this kid at seven. She's playing better than I ever will. What's the point? That's not going to be productive in your instruction or in your violin journey. So I think it's best to avoid them, at least on the piece that you're learning. 
Making the distinction between good and bad recordings may not be obvious if you're a beginner, which is why I think it's a good idea to stick to the professionally recorded ones. If you're listening to a beginner or an intermediate player, you may start to internalize bad habits, poor intonation, bad tone, things of that nature from a student, and you might not even realize it yet. When you're starting out, People that are ahead of you might sound good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are at a professional level or that they're exactly the highest level of playing that you should be striving for. So I would recommend that you start with professional recordings and albums. If you're learning songs from Suzuki, Hilary Hahn just recorded books one through three the last couple of years, and it's really awesome. I know that for student pieces, your options are really a lot more limited, so you probably will have to go source these on YouTube. So generally, you will be able to find professional recordings, see if you can find a teacher who's playing them, if there's not anything that's recorded professionally as an album. Uh, Oftentimes, if you look on YouTube, there are some recordings that have the score or the music as the main kind of walkthrough screens. And generally, you'll in the description, you'll be able to see if it's recorded with an orchestra or with a pianist or with a violinist. And those are the ones you want to stick to at first. Otherwise, I do like to stick to Spotify, although literally anywhere you get your music will work. But there are a ton of amazing recordings on YouTube that you actually can't find on Spotify. And a lot of these are not professional label recordings which is what I said to stick to at first, but as soon as you're comfortable and confident recognizing a professional player from a non-professional player, once you're able to kind of gauge the caliber of the violinist, I really wouldn't skip out on YouTube because there you'll be able to find some creative interpretations, some live recordings of big name violinists and also not big name violinists. Uh, There are just so many out there. So I would say start from professional recordings, albums that you can find on Spotify if you can. And then as soon as you've been playing for a while, move over to YouTube. So I'm talking about Spotify and YouTube, and you might be wondering whether it makes a difference to be listening audio or to be actually watching a video. I think both are important. Videos, especially when you're a beginner, gives you a visual to reinforce how you should be holding the violin, your posture, and your position. I think it's really good to watch professionals playing, especially like as a soloist in front of orchestra, even if that's not your personal goal, but just to notice how calm they are when they're playing or how intense they're playing, what their bow arm is doing, all that kind of stuff. And you can really relate it to whatever you're working on in lessons. If you're working on straight bow, watch how straight the bow is. If you're working on tuning, notice how in tune they are. And I think the visual really gives you a good opportunity to explore that. But when you're focusing on that, you may not be able to focus as much on the actual nuances of the sound, the interpretation, the big picture stuff. And that's where the audio comes in. So I do think it's important to have a little bit of both when you're listening. Okay, so that's kind of the background info. But how do you actually listen to recordings? How do we make that serve you as much as possible? 
The first step is to find as many recordings as you can of your piece and to make a playlist. Try to find some from violinists of different eras and different backgrounds because once you start listening closely, you'll actually hear a really huge difference. You also want to hear a mix between live and studio recordings. And if your piece was originally written for another instrument, you want to get some of the original version as well. You'll have more and more options and choices the further you advance, the harder the repertoire is. But already from the end of Suzuki book one, for example, you'll be able to start doing this. So one of the final pieces in the book is Minuet in G major, the third minuet by Johann Sebastian Bach. And that one is actually originally written for piano. So in your playlist, you can try to find a couple of the original instrumentation. So written for, so recordings of pianists playing this, then you can maybe download the Hilary Hahn recording, look at other Suzuki recordings. Those ones have been recorded professionally many times. Maybe try to source a few teachers playing this with piano, preferably on YouTube. And there you have it already in the first year of your studies, you'll be able to put together a good solid playlist to start. So here's the fun stuff. I'm going to be sharing a few different clips from different violinists of the Bach Chaconne, which if you're not familiar with, is a really well-known and monster work for violin, solo violin, by J.S. Bach. It's part of the second partita for solo violin. And I'm going to play several different violinists' interpretation of this, and we're going to talk about it. So let's start with Hilary Hahn's interpretation. I mentioned her Suzuki recordings a few times, so let's listen to what she does with Bach. So right away, one of the biggest things that sticks out to me in her playing of this piece is how much she sustains through the chords. They sound like a block, uh, almost like she, were, she was playing a piano. And she also chooses a pretty slow tempo, so that really plays into the sustain that she's giving. Also, what's really interesting here is that she's playing the chords as three notes as much as possible. So instead of breaking them, playing two notes, two notes for each chord, which makes them sound a little bit longer, and we'll hear that in other violinist inter interpretations. Again, she kind of has that piano sound where all three are being hit at once, and then she's sustaining the higher two. One more concrete thing you can listen for, if you're not sure what I mean by this, is how long the bass notes are. So the bass notes are just the lower notes of the chord, and in this recording, they're quite quick. She hits them, and then she sustains more on the top notes. In some other recordings, like the third one, she actually emphasizes those a lot more. They're a bit longer, and so that's something you can listen to. If you're familiar with the score, then... You, you'll see that this is generally really, really close to what's written. Um, I think she interprets this very literally, again, having all the chords being played as much as possible together and pretty minimal dynamics. It's all kind of a, a wall of sound. 
Oh, and I'll mention that I will have links to all of these recordings, as well as attributions in the show notes, which I send out in the form of an email newsletter with every episode. So if you want to follow along with the score and have access to the full recordings and these notes, you can sign up for that at violinclass.co slash newsletter. So Hilary Hahn is a modern, living, young American violinist. And let's compare her interpretation now with Yasha Heifetz, who has more of an old school style of playing. This particular recording is from 1971, when Heifetz was already on the tail end of his career. And you'll notice right away how different it is. We'll be right back after this quick break. The Violin Class Podcast is brought to you by my very own private violin studio. If you want to bring your violin playing to the next level, if you find that you're stuck on a certain technique or a piece, you're having trouble making progress, I would love to help you work through whatever challenges that you're working right now on violin. So if you're looking for a violin teacher to help guide you in your progress, or if you're self-teaching, and looking for a one-time lesson to check in and work together to make a plan for your violin playing going forward, I would love to work with you. I've been teaching violin online to adult amateurs of all levels for over a decade, so if you are interested, you can reach out to me at violinclasspod at gmail.com or through my website at violinclass.co slash contact. And yes, beginners are always welcome. On that note, let's get right back into the episode. Compared to Hillary's recording, it's a lot faster and there's a lot less emphasis on the sustain. He separates more of the chords and he actually retakes and lifts the bow. So he uses a different bowing than she does, which gets gives us a kind of a different sound. He also breaks those three note chords quite a bit more. Hillary, as I said, played them more like a piano and then sustained. He breaks them up almost into what sounds like two chords or two double stops to be a bit more exact. I think this makes the interpretation a little bit more energetic, maybe a little bit more aggressive too. And just one fun thing also is that second chord, uh, he actually plays as a chord, which is not what's written. Uh, Hilary Hahn plays it as just an open A, so bonus if you want to go back and listen and compare those closely. Okay, next, let's listen to Korean violinist Kyung Wa Chang. Her interpretation is slightly different than both of them. I think that she separates the phrases and thinks about them into much larger segments. And she really sustains through almost changing the tempo a little bit in the first four bars to make it sound like just one sentence, pretty much. And then she lifts. So again, that's really different than the other two. A little bit more nuanced and more unique as well. She breaks the chords really heavily, so she almost 
cuts them into two. So instead of playing them all three notes at once, there's that two and two that High Fitz is doing, but even more so, um, more defined. And she also really brings out the bass notes. Those lower notes, I think, are more present, more prominent here. She also plays with the time quite a bit. She slows down at the end. She's not barreling through. And you get the sense that she's listening to almost like the reverb of the, the place that she's playing in the which again, if you're following along with the recording is in a church. So she she is listening for that echo to come back to her. You know what? Let me play that one more time. It's really a lovely effect. So see if you can hear it. way she plays it you hear some reverberation and almost an echo within her sustain which gives a really full and beautiful sound two more violins to look at the next one is Gidon kramer who is a russian violinist his interpretation is again so different than the others let's listen to it First of all, I think it's pretty fast and it's quite aggressive as well, not in a bad way, just in a, in a different way, especially compared to the first recording. Some of those chords, like the introduction, are broken as well, where we get that two and two, but the other ones are, are played completely together. And he also lifts a lot in between all of the two bar phrases and if you're watching the videos if you're following along with those you'll see he actually physically lifts the bow off the string which um and then retakes them always starting from a down bow which the other violinists aren't doing for instance kyung wa chung is starting every other phrase on an up bow so she is alternating back and forth between down and up as far as timing, he's pushing forward a lot, and he's listening for that echo as well, but with the bow off the string, whereas in the previous recording, she was sustaining through that. So small differences, but give a completely different energy. The last recording we're going to listen to is super interesting because it's actually on a Baroque instrument, which is going to be, I think, the most obvious difference. Um, and if you're not hearing all of these nuances I'm talking about, uh, just listen to them a few more times, maybe with the points that I'm making, and it'll become a bit more clear. It's hard to catch when we're just kind of barreling through. So this one, as I said, I think will be a little bit easier to hear just as far as a tonal difference and a stylistic one. So this is violinist Rachel Ellen Wong, who is a Baroque violinist. The most obvious difference, which you may have picked up, is that it almost sounds like we're in a different key. We're not actually in a different key, but the tuning is different. So in Baroque instruments, we tune to a lower A, generally 432 instead of 440. So that gives it almost kind of like a, a twang to it. Um, just let me put those side by side really quickly. I'll play hers and I'll play Gadon Kramer's, just so you can hear the difference in tuning.
So Rachel Ellen Wong gives us a much more Baroque interpretation. She's playing on a whole different instrument, a, a period instrument instead of a modern violin. First of all, there's much less sustain, which is very typical of these instruments because the design of the bow is slightly different. They were shorter and they were also literally bowed out a little bit more in the wood, which makes them less conducive to sustaining. So this is more how, at least based on research and what we think is how uh, this would have been played more in box time. The chords are generally broken into the bass notes and the top notes, which we heard some other violinists doing, so we're not getting all three at once, like that piano quality. And she plays more in the lower half of the bow, which you'd be able to see if you're watching the videos. I think that this interpretation on my end sounds a lot more gentle and less aggressive. It feels a bit more rounded and uh, and has more of the dance quality, which is what the partitas are all about. They're actually a set of Baroque dances. And on that note, I actually have a whole episode on solo Bach that's going to be coming out in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. If all of this is gibberish to you, I'll be talking more about what makes this music hard and what you need to know. The other thing here is that she uses very limited vibrato. I didn't really talk about vibrato in the other violinists because uh, we don't have time to cover everything. But in Baroque playing, most of the color comes from the bow. Now, if you're a violinist who's starting out and you don't have your vibrato yet, I would really listen to a lot of Baroque interpretations because it just goes to show how good you can sound with very, very minimal vibrato and how... You can still tell a story and have a lot of tonal variation just by using the bow. And that's what she gives us here in this interpretation. So there you have it, five completely different interpretations of just eight bars of this very famous piece. And I guarantee you every single violinist has their unique take on this and we'll play it in a different way. So what you did here is what you should be repeating with your own music and, and the recordings that you source. We mostly talked about things like tempo and the speed at which that the chords were being broken and sustained here, but there's like a million other things that we could have talked about. At a certain point, you just have to pick a few. But really, you're getting my first thoughts as I listen to this. I, I didn't listen to them a hundred times, is just the first things that come to mind that I notice, especially when you play them side by side. You can do this with literally any other piece, either one that you're studying or just one that you like. In this week's newsletter, I'm going to send some recordings that you can actually try this as well as a list of things to listen for. So again, if you want that email, you can sign up at violinclassco slash newsletter. So some of the other things that you can listen for are, first of all, that tempo that we were talking about if there are any changes throughout the piece as well, maybe there's a slow section and the violinist in recording A takes it a lot slower than recording B. That's something that you can note and observe. The other one is the overall feeling that you get when listening. So for some of the interpretations of the chaconne, I mentioned words like aggressive or gentle. Like Those are literally just feelings I get when I'm listening to this. And it's not that the writing is different, and we don't know exactly what Bach intended when he wrote these notes, but the interpretation of the violinist is going to give us 
a completely different feeling depending on those choices that they make. Other things are pertaining to the vibrato, how much they're using, if it's fast, if it's slow, which type, and also how the violinist started and ended the piece. If they're ending with a bang or with a decrescendo. And lastly, which I think is the most interesting part, is your own opinions on the interpretation. And just because you can't play as well as this violinist that you're listening to does not mean you have to like everything they did. I didn't give you my personal opinions of which of the recordings I liked the best, but there are certainly some that I liked more than others for various reasons. So that's something you can do as well. Is there anything that you really loved that was really cool? And is there something that you just didn't like about the violinist's playing? Probably it's not a technical thing. You know, if they're at this level, they all sound good, but maybe there's something about the interpretation, just like, you know, a work of art that doesn't resonate with you that you don't like. And to take it a step further, think about what it is you don't like, because I think that's a little bit more difficult. Like, is it, um, especially when it's professionals, because it's probably not that it's out of tune or that it's scratchy. It's something a little bit more behind the surface. So that's a really, really good way of training your ear and becoming a better listener and in turn a better player. And as you're doing this, you're not only internalizing what the notes are, you're also going to have an easier time memorizing, tuning, all of that, the oral model stuff that we talked about in part one of this episode. But this is more of this, that second level, I think, where you get the most benefit from listening is that sitting down and analyzing everything. And if you notice, we did it with only eight measures. It would take a long time to do this with the entire bakshi cone, which is like 15 minutes long. And that brings me to the difference between active listening and passive listening. Active listening is what we just did there, the analysis, which is takes a bit more focus and a bit more time. And in my book, 100% counts as practice time. So if you have a half hour to practice violin and you want to do this for 20 minutes, that counts as 20 of your 30 minutes, at least the way I do things. Passive listening is more of what you're doing when you listen to music in general, putting it on in the background, listening to it as you're on a walk or driving to work. That's beneficial as well. It's just going to kind of enter your brain in a slightly different way. So I think it's important to pair both of those together. This is already turning out to be a much longer episode than I intended. So there are a lot of other things that I could touch on, such as how to play and how to study the score uh, when listening to a recording, how to use this for memorization. That's going to be beyond the scope of this episode. But Before we get into the discussion of my private students and how they use recordings, I just wanted to note something, which is about breaking the rules. In the Kyungwa Chang recording, for instance, I said that she slowed down a little bit, and that's not something that's written in the score. Like with many forms of art, when you know the rules, you can break the rules. One thing to note is that the professionals will often take time or accelerate very slightly. And of course, this is something that you should observe, but replicate with caution. It is as you're learning the instrument, your first job to learn how to play your piece really, really accurately and close to as written as possible. Um, So yeah, just a little caveat as you're listening, that's maybe one thing that you shouldn't be copying, at least at first. 
Uh, at some point, that's something you're going to be copying a lot, but it's kind of the last thing to mess with is the timing. Okay, so I think I have talked enough. Let's listen to what my private students have to say. So this is a discussion taken from the end of our group studio class where my students and I meet and they play violin for each other, give feedback, and at the end we chat about violin-related topics and this is one of them. Since this is from a class and not written and not recorded for the podcast specifically, the audio quality is not amazing. It's just through Zoom. So thank you for bearing with me, but I think you will find this pretty interesting because it's how students are actually using this practically in their own practice. Said uh, you've been listening to recordings, and I think who else you were saying you were listening to recordings. And I noticed that the week you guys both did that, like on my end, it's huge progress. So maybe both of you guys can touch on like how that works for you and what, like, are you just sitting and listening? What are you guys doing? I like to be honest, it's just I listen to the recording when I'm in my car. <laughs> like, before it kind of almost it, I wouldn't say it replaces a practice session but it replaces playing the piece in a way that like when I was away and I wasn't with my violin for a week I just listened to the piece instead and I played it on the piano and I like did it in different ways because I feel like especially like I we've been playing this piece for like a while now and so if I like you play it in a certain way and it gets stuck in your head that way. And then it's hard to come out of that rut. It's like you're playing in a rut, basically. So like listening to it, listening to different people playing it, playing it on like all of us have piano backgrounds, like just even playing the melody on the piano, like it helps almost because you're like, oh, wow. Okay. And like, I assume we're probably all more comfortable on the piano than on the violin, maybe. So playing like the dynamics on the piano and being like, oh, this is what I want it to sound like. And then trying to imitate that on the violin helped. Um, but I think, yeah, it just allows us to take a step away, I think, from the piece and like the intense focus that needs to be put in to learn the piece. And yeah, it gives it kind of a fresh, fresh start. Uh, yeah, for me... But, well, I don't know. Uh, I prefer personally learning the notes before listening to a recording. Because sometimes, like, Humores, for instance, it, the first part I had heard before. So I, I was very familiar with what it was supposed to sound like. But, like the slower part or the minor part, it was the first time I heard it. So I was like, okay, I can't, like, imitate something if I don't, like, know the notes. I don't recognize it. So for me, I, I needed to learn the notes before. But once I understand what's supposed to sound like like I can listen to a recording and say ah this is supposed to be softer this is supposed to be louder this is supposed to be more dramatic and um yeah and uh, well I haven't looked at many <laughs> different interpretations of Imares but uh, I the one I did listen to was one I really liked I enjoy I really thought the performance was beautiful and like very intricate and very like detailed if you want like a lot of little details because the, the melody is not complicated like learning the notes is not complicated but making it so like meaningful or sensitive I guess is it, like another level so anyway that's what I was listening and trying to see and I was like okay for these parts he goes a bit slower so I'll, I'll, I'll use less bow or go slower and um, maybe a bit more like you say crisp in certain areas less crisp in other areas and the minor uh, 
the minor section was very dramatic. So just listening to a performance you like and see, oh yes, I, I like that because of this, I'll try to incorporate it in my music. Uh, I think that does make a difference. And once you learn the notes, you know what it's supposed to sound like and you can make something a bit nicer, <laughs> a bit better. Do you generally watch videos or do you just listen to recordings, audio recordings? Um, or both? Well, I watch videos on YouTube and uh, sometimes it's useful because I would say, for instance, with the slower or like uh, softer parts, Sometimes I notice, ah, oh, they're using less bow or they're slower. So sometimes really? seeing the bow is useful. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I, I don't watch videos in my car. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. But yeah, I wouldn't say like every time I look at a video, I always take something out in terms of visually, mm -hmm. I mean, but sometimes I do take out something interesting. What about you watch videos or are you more just audio? I, it depends. Like, I don't watch, I don't like watching videos of people playing the pieces that I'm playing just because I feel like it makes me overthink it a little bit too much. And then it's almost worse. Like, sometimes, like, having it in my head that I have to break down the bow in exactly this way, mm. it's almost more difficult for me to play it afterwards because then I'm like thinking too hard. I'm like, no, just, just play it and hear it and, it feels better but that being said I do watch videos of people playing techniques so like for example when I was having a struggle of my life to play with my fourth finger my pinky like I was watching videos of people like teaching exercises teaching different things like I watched a lot of like people playing in different ways to get certain techniques and that helped a lot but like when I watched, because I did watch someone play Millie's and honestly, it's kind of just distracting to me. I'm like, what is he doing? Oh, he's going too fast. Oh, and then like, you know, so it's almost like I'm watching their performance instead of actually trying to get something out of it. Yeah. So it's like it distracts me a bit. But that being said, like, like it's helpful to like see people play things and be like, oh, you're playing that way. That's good. Because when I watch people play things in person, like if they're in front of me playing, it's a lot easier to like get things out of that like with how they're playing like one of my friends plays um like traditional Quebecois folk music like jigs and reels and stuff and when I watched how she played and how she was getting sound the sound to sound the way she was sounding like I feel like the way I played jigs and reels was a lot better afterwards you know so you um done a lot of listening of your the thing that's tough is that the earlier on you are the more limited you are to the recordings mm. um and different versions but yeah how, what have you done or have you explored that at all so the piece i i'm like just wrapping up which is the mini beethoven minuet in suzuki two um i did watch a video because it was just like so flat <laughs> But it wasn't like a great video, but what you were saying about the Boeing and like seeing some of the Boeing, I, that, that made sense to me. But there's also this part of me, I think maybe you guys can relate to this with piano. The piano is just like much more immediate intuition of how you get a sound out of the keys. It's like you hit it harder, softer, like lean into it a little more. It's like, no, you don't necessarily have to, and I guess I also watched a lot of pianists. So you just sort of learn from that. But like listening to you describe like what you get from watching people in a more like abstract way like oh that produces a certain type of sound that's like what I feel like I'm sort of chasing and trying to get out of a violin and I'm definitely nowhere near it yet but it's like this idea that you can intuitively be like 
just use the little espo and you don't have to watch someone play that specific phrase that you're trying to learn doing that in order to take that away but i'm sure it's like a building block right like you do it and you practice it and you see it and then you can just use it again somewhere else without having to see someone doing it so yeah so it's really interesting i think hearing you guys talk about what you're getting from the recordings that it sounds like for you it's um like i think the visual element is super nice to have you know i didn't have that as when I was learning, you know, back in the early 2000s, um, right? But so so it's nice to be able to actually see, like, if you want to check even a Boeing or, or how they're playing things. And the more re- difficult repertoire you get, the more you'll, you'll get from that because um, there'll be alternate Boeings, there'll be alternate fingerings. Whereas, you know, in Suzuki, it's like, this is how you play it. And most people play it that way. Whereas I think what you're getting which is also super important is it kind of gets you out of your head a little bit and when we're practicing we're in practice mode and we're like writing things down and thinking about how much bow to use and all that and it's really hard uh sometimes to remember the music behind that and sometimes the recording will get you in it's, it's interesting it's almost like into performance mode without you being the one who's performing but you you get that uh that listening aspect which is super super important and there you have it that was I think a really nice discussion from my students. Uh, this was shared with permission and uh, pardon the awkward edits where I'm just taking out everyone's names for privacy. I hope you were able to follow along, but I think it's really cool and interesting to hear how they're actually using all of this information and their discussion is actually what inspired this episode, not the other way around. As you can see, everyone does things in their own way. Some people prefer video, some people prefer audio, and I think that's what you should be doing too as you're advancing your skills. And that concludes this uh, very, very long and dense episode about the number one thing that you should be doing outside of practicing, listening to recordings, how to go about it, and all of the things that you can think about when you're studying those recordings. And that you'll actually try some of those exercises with the comparative listening at home on your own whenever you get home and have have a minute. So uh, again, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, you can do that at the website, violinclass.co, where I'll send all of that stuff in written form. But if you liked this episode, I would really appreciate if you could take a second to rate and review. Let me know what you think. Um, And... And lastly, if you ever want to say hello to me, get in touch, have any suggestions or feedback on any of the episodes, or if you want to learn violin with me, you can write to me directly at violinclasspod at gmail.com or fill out the contact form at violinclass.co. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you at the next one.